Look at that. We got great levels for Mr. Tom Macero. And can you hear us okay? Wonderful. Awesome. We're trying out our new phone system here, our Swan Energy phone lines here in our Crude Life studio. And we're actually going to have a, a new studio coming up in about 90 days. Well, a different studio as well. So Sterling's joining us. And uh, Thomas, they're a great American mining company. Give us an update, if you wouldn't mind, from Shale Play USA. How are you guys doing out there? We're uh, doing well. Seems to be a lot of excitement uh, going into 2021. Lots of producers uh, have perked up now, seeing like the, the recent rise in Bitcoin pricing, um, as well as kind of maybe an uncertain future in terms of like overall price. Of, of gas and, and oil going forward so yeah we're, we're expecting a big year you still got some work in the bakken oh yes sir multiple deployments uh quick little elevator pitch you know that type of thing you know the 30 60 45 second version of uh what bitcoin mining is out in the bakken oil field yeah it's simply this uh, we're taking uh in most cases stranded gas uh, that is not connected to a pipeline and giving the producer uh, value for it, whether it's in the form of Bitcoin or we just pay for uh, the the gas itself. And then we take that gas on site through and uh, put it through a natural gas generator. And then it powers these 20 or 40 foot shipping containers that are glorified uh, data centers. Uh, they have a lot of computing power inside that protects and verifies the Bitcoin network and that's how it's all done uh, on a well pad. Um, so that's that's what we're doing right now. We basically validated this use case uh, all of last year. There's a couple of us that are that are up in the Bakken playing, and uh, we believe that the Bakken has the best landscape for this particular use case moving forward due to its um, climate advantages rather than you know than texas uh and we believe with the flaring caps um more of a ooh. frackleberry hound he's in studio yeah no worries yeah, no worries, no worries. yeah yeah um and i should mention though the, the headline on this is bitcoin solves flaring issues or you know another solution to emission management and really i i did want to you know do that bullet point because at the end of the day, that's really what the benefit is to the producer, to the state, to the environment, to the consumer, is that this is another one of those solutions to help with the overall, you know, uh, cornucopia of uh, emission management options out there. Isn't that true? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, our company and, and, and myself has a little bit more of a contrarian take where I think Bitcoin mining is... Um, you know, sort of what I would call a Trojan horse. Uh, and, and the Trojan horse is, hey, we help out on the flare mitigation side of things, you know, from a solution standpoint. But our big picture uh, thesis is that these particular units become digital pipelines in the future. So we believe in a future where there is no need for a pipeline to be uh, developed all the way up to a newly drilled well. We believe that putting these units right on site will be better economic, I'm sorry, better uh, environmental stewardship rather than building, you know, thousands of miles of pipeline and all of the other issues that come along with that. You can get, for a producer, you can get more value for your gas 
turning it into Bitcoin than you can sending it into a traditional pipeline structure. So we're probably years away from that reality ever really being kind of realized, but um, that's kind of our, our view on things. And yes, the, the flare mitigation side of things is a great introductory kind of like step in that direction, but we do have bigger goals. Sterling, what do you think of that digital pipeline? That's what I was going to channel Larry King for a second and say, digital pipeline, expand on that. But you actually answered the question before yeah, I got to. he did to, expand on yeah, that. Yeah, he did expand on that. You expounded on the expansion of the pipeline. Uh, d- digital pipeline, Sterling, what do you think well, of that? I, I, it's a fascinating concept. I, I really had no idea that that was being done, and it seems like a, a pretty cool use of available resources. I'm kind of curious, though, is it, you know, if if that is sort of a roadmap to the future, is there ever a worry that if everybody's doing it, that it saturates the market? I mean, is is that a concern with Bitcoin that it can become devalued? I guess because of the number of people mining it, or is it is the value increased because there's more uh, coin that's unlocked? I guess that's that's one how does I have Bitcoin a hard time. how does Bitcoin constitute value and and keep it its value? Sure. So. Bitcoin keeps its value by being scarce. So it is not, it, it doesn't react to external forces at all, right? So it's going to, the way that the computer algorithm works is that every 10 minutes, it's going to dish out a preset amount of rewards to the miners or the protectors of the network every 10 minutes. And that number will not change no matter how many folks are on the network or okay. not um that will that in and of itself has driven kind of the growth in the value of bitcoin over the past couple of well, over the past 10 years in and of itself um what i see for the future is much like shale when shale gets kicked off it's the people who are first into it who do the best because just like in shale or any other type of um, exploration kind of process, there are other market forces at work. So, for example, 80% of our CapEx, maybe not 80%, 70% of our CapEx when we're building one of these containers is the little machines that we call miners. Um, so we've seen almost a 80 to 90% price um, jump in the market prices of these machines so it can be like that too when people are laying a bunch of pipelines and compressors are all of a sudden hard to find price goes up um so just that element to the supply chain will not facilitate the ability for every single oil and gas uh you know producer to be able to do this at one time because there simply aren't enough machines that could actually allow them to do it and it's and it's not cheap by the way either these are you know, for about a megawatt worth of capacity, which in MCF terms is pretty close to about a right around 200 MCF at around 1500 BTU gas, um, which isn't a lot, right? 200 MCF a day uh, is about a million dollars for us to get the, you know, the the CapEx to, to be able to do this. We do believe that price will go down as like, you know, orders of efficiency work and, and whatnot. But um, you could see why it would. it's going to take a little bit of, uh, I wouldn't say a gamble on the oil and 
in the oil and gas producers part because I, I do think they're very forward thinking in terms of an industry because they're usually forced into innovation. Um, but it's it's still a pretty big capex resource. And so I still think what you're seeing right now and what we've seen is uh, producers are, are dipping their toes saying, hey, we'd like to have a box out on our unit. Um, let's see how this works. Let's get comfortable with it. And I think, you know, within the next 12 to 16 months, you'll start seeing larger and larger deployments of these units. Um, the, the one caveat that I would add that the oil and gas space has an advantage of over every other uh, energy resource that does Bitcoin mining. Now, mind you, people mine using coal power plants in China right now. Uh, hydro is the, uh, is the other large um, energy source. And then uh, we've got... Um, uh, on grid power so you know places like texas are a hotbed because they have they have their own grid and they have an excess amount of uh capacity in their grid system so they invite miners to come and they'll take right off the utility pole so uh the one advantage oil and gas folks have is that they have the ability to have the lowest marginal cost of electricity production as it gets larger which in which that allows them to do is to be able to mine profitably when it's more difficult to mine, i.e. when the price dips and it's not as much of a gravy train. <laughs> so I did want to ask you about your prediction that I poo-pooed immediately last time you were on the air because you mentioned one of your uh, Bitcoin oracles or somebody thought that Bitcoin could reach to $300,000 by the end of 2021. And I don't even think you finished the sentence. And I said, oh, that's just ridiculous. I mean, because it was at 18,000 at the time. And that was what, two and a half weeks ago? And now it's at 30,000. So uh, let's let's revisit that prediction and explain why I'm eating some crow right now. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, we're not there yet. I think that... Uh, you know, when you get into this, we so we stumbled. Our, our parent company is a technology company, and we kind of stumbled into Bitcoin because we had a customer who wanted to use our software, but it was specifically around a cryptocurrency site. And so we literally, five years ago, had no idea about Bitcoin or any of this stuff. And we slowly became more involved in it as we did more work for the customer. And we became, uh, I, I think, similar to the conversations we had uh, before starting this uh, interview, is that you began to ask questions. We didn't have a lot of answers, but we were very much curious uh, how all of this worked. And so getting into mining was like a, a further expansion into that. And when we did that, then we started looking at there is like almost a programmatic or systematic path that Bitcoin takes um, in, their, in its bull and bear cycles. And if you look at past history of when it starts pumping, um, you will see that there's usually anywhere between a 10 and a 20x jump from the previous all-time high. And so prior to the big, the big bull run of 2016-2017, that high was $20,000, which we just smashed through um, here towards the end of 2020. Prior to that, the all-time high was around $1,200. Um, so it's not crazy to think that um, that you're going to see the same type of jump now from 20k 
uh, a 10 to 20 X jump from here. You know, I was wondering too, I don't see it, you know, Bitcoin out in the, in the larger news sphere, except generally in, you know, in, in, in the scale of like corporations, but something that came up the other day that, that finally made some sense to me was, and you've probably heard of it was the, I think it was the Carolina Panthers. One of the players there is talking about receiving half of his $13 million salary in, in, in Bitcoin. Yeah, absolutely. So you're seeing adoption on kind of cultural uh, points, like with, uh, I believe his name is Russell Okung. Yeah. And uh, he's been involved in like Bitcoin Twitter for, I want to say, about the last year and a half. He kind of became enthralled with it, engaged with the Bitcoin Twitter community, and they kind of just adopted him in terms of like helping him, uh, you know, educating them on like what separates Bitcoin from the vast number of other cryptocurrency projects that are out there. And, you know, he said it right from the beginning, I want to get paid in Bitcoin. I think it was like a year and a half, two years ago. And uh, yeah, he worked with a provider um, that we're very good friends with, uh, uh, a company called Strike with a uh, gentleman named Jack Maulers, a a young entrepreneur. And yeah, he's getting half his paycheck in Bitcoin. Now that's just a small to me, that's just another small piece to the puzzle, though, because at the same time you hear that news coming out, there's story on the institutional side. So there's multiple large publicly traded companies that are taking their own cash reserves or their own treasuries and saying, you know what, our cash treasury should, would be better served if we were investing in bitcoin so there's a company called well one of the oldest insurance companies in the united states mass mutual uh invested a hundred million dollars uh in their cash reserve into bitcoin because they felt that would be a better investment uh rather than just holding that money and watching it become worth less over a certain period of time with the u.s dollar uh micro strategy has bought over 1.3 billion dollars worth of Bitcoin, um, and there are a number of others. Uh, Square, which is a publicly traded company, which I'm sure we've all, you know, swiped our card on. At our yeah, coffee. I use them daily. Yeah, yeah, they've uh, they invested fifty million dollars uh, and bought Bitcoin. Now these guys aren't buying Bitcoin to trade. These these guys are buying Bitcoin to hold. And so what that ha- when that happened, all of these things happened in like the last four or five months. It created a perfect storm because. All of that liquidity had been taken off the market. So, you know, there's not like there's infinite amount of Bitcoin to be traded. So when that, you know, when that those these are large amounts, 100,000 Bitcoin at a time have been taken off the market, uh, that immediately creates, a, um, you know, kind of a demand rise in the price. And that's kind of what we're seeing right now. Okay. I was, I was going to ask what made it jump up because i was seeing that there was a a correction as well that happened yesterday and so um which makes sense yeah bitcoin flash crash sees biggest price drop in cryptocurrency history but you'd expect that after the biggest hike i mean a a correction this this is a correction correct i mean from what what you just explained when you take that much out of the system and put that much into the system that's that's when this becomes volatile and and now anyway that's how I look at it I don't know I'm uh, your your comment on the biggest crash in history after the biggest spike yeah I know I know I think that's just someone chasing clicks um, because anybody who's followed Bitcoin um, would realize that it, it is it, in terms of trading it is not for someone with 
I would say, uh, you know, it, it takes some, it takes some real mm, cojones. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's to what I was thinking. The, yeah. the Grapefruits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> big stones. Bowling balls. It's, it's extremely, <laughs> extremely volatile. So when I say we're in, we've entered into a bull market, that is by no means saying that there are not going to be very, very volatile swings that take place. Um, and that has been true ever since, you know, I've gotten into Bitcoin, you know, right, you know, five, six years ago. Uh, so that thing yesterday that happened, you know, where it went down to like 29,000, that happened like overnight. So it was like, I think it topped out at 34,000 when I went to bed. I wake up. It's at 31,000, but now I see all these like, you know, news releases in the morning. Oh, Bitcoin crashes because it, you know, went down to 29,000. Um, and then it, you know, it just rebounds. And now I think it's kind of stabilized at like 32, 33. So, um, yeah, you know, crash is one of those words that, you know, just thing. gets people's attention. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. Hey, Tom, I got another question for you about Bitcoin. I don't know if this is your area or if it's uh, Marty Benz, who you do stuff with. I read his stuff all over uh, in in the cryptocurrency Bitcoin world. I know you've got a relationship with him as well. Uh, Russia, I see, is getting into this business now, the the Bitcoin um, energy mining, you know, uh, emission management, that sort of that whole package where they're they're. They're investing pretty heavy into this. So are you following the, the Russian side of this? Yeah, Russian. Uh, yeah, and in fact, a, a Russian-backed uh, oil and gas firm, one of the, I think it's one of the country's largest, uh, has you know recently launched a project similar to what we do here. I think the only difference, and this is where I was saying this, I think we're skating to where the puck is going. That Gazprom announcement was not so much around we're trying to curtail flaring because – as you may or may not know, uh, Russia, for the most part, and most of the you know those countries, they don't care about their flaring. It's not a, it, it's not it's not a priority for them um, with their uh, with their policies. What they see this as is a way to get to extract the most amount of value out of that molecule coming out of the ground. So they know that you know whatever they can get out of that uh, gas going into a pipeline is marginal, as well it's it's decreasing in value. They know now that if they set up the infrastructure to mine Bitcoin, that that gas can be worth five to 10x more than sending it into a pipeline. So I think that's the bigger story of, uh, of that announcement. I am, I'm seeing quite a bit of news stories in the last week, but specifically since the first of the year, that is tying Bitcoin and oil and gas together as far as the, the rationale and the reason for the surge. Um, I just saw uh, this morning, JP Morgan is now looking at Bitcoin at being 146000 by the end of the year. I mean, so now you got the big guys coming in and saying, okay, what the 200000 and 300000 prediction is, that's crazy. It's going to be $150,000. So but my point is the big guys are now even starting to say Bitcoin is looking like it's going to have a big year. Yeah, and I mean, who knows, you know, the, it, everyone's just reading tea leaves on that side of things. If you go back and look at J.P. Morgan's uh, track record, um, you know, they've basically poo-pooed Bitcoin and called it a scam and a farce for the last six or seven years. So I'm just glad that they're finally joining the party at this point. Right. <clears throat> yeah, that's what, that's, that's what made me kind of look at it, is that if they're even starting to get on board, and that's a big number, by the way, for 
I don't care what you are, but if you have eighteen, twenty thousand dollars as your number, and then a year later you're two hundred thousand, that's an incredible jump. Incredible jump. I, I mean, I, has that even been done before in gold or palladium or ro, ro, rhodesium tulips back in Holland tulips? <laughs> oh, don't go down the tulip train. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I think I think you know. Yes, it is. Um, you know, there's an investor, uh, a macro investor. His name is Paul Tudor Jones, and last year he made some uh, a lot of headlines. I want to say back in like the springtime, actually, right, right, like when COVID was hitting, right when you know we were just going crazy with the Fed and printing all kinds of money. He came out and said, "Hey, look, um, I'm not." A Bitcoin guy, but like the more and more I look at this from a currency perspective and as a money a money angle, this is a really interesting play because what you're getting with this, it's not. And you've touched on this with me before, um, Jason. Is um, there is a certain element that Bitcoin is kind of a hybrid. It's kind of like a stock, even though it's not really a stock. Uh, it's a currency. Um, there's this element that it's digital gold because it's scarce, but then there's this other element that it's kind of its own network in and of itself. So <laughs> just like once fit, once once Facebook achieved a certain size, it becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy because it achieves what they call network effects, right? It becomes viral. And so um, Bitcoin, and this, is, this was Paul Tudor Jones' rationale, is like it's still very early for Bitcoin because – not a lot of people have really adopted it. We've all kind of looked at it, especially for those of us who are older. I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer. I'm in my early 40s. Um, you know, I kind of saw this when it was first coming out, but I really didn't give much thought to it because, you know, I grew up just like you, you both probably where, you know, we had traditional checkbooks and, and things like that. Well, our kids aren't growing up in that world. They're growing up in a digital world where it's digital first. So this kind of like crossing the chasm into this digital uh, currency world is not going to be as big of a jump as it was for us. And I think um, that ter- that hmm. focus on what it's going to be from an adoption standpoint is, that's where a lot of people are banking on this being like kind of a, a, the future in terms of, hey, this is how people interact from a currency perspective in the future. Just like people believed in Amazon way back when, when Jeff Bezos was just selling books out of a warehouse. <laughs> Speechless. I know. It happens a lot with early Bitcoiners. Right. I was just kind of looking at this um, different different headlines about the Bitcoin and oil and gas and, and that sort of thing. And um, it was there was oh. one that was tying Bitcoin to video games, and that just put my quick impromptu mind down a wormhole, and we'll have to schedule a, another time because I'd love to – know how Bitcoin is going to work itself into the video game world because of what you just said, that that generation is just so digitized right now that when you were talking, I was wondering, like, guy, I paid for cash the other night on my date. Does she, like, think I'm an old man now? Like, am I like the old man walking both ways uphill paying by cash? Well, no, I mean, it's 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 absolutely right. My, my, my kids pay, my, it's microtransactions, it's digital currency on their games. It's that's Cash what, app. Well, it's what they're familiar with is, Venmo. is, is being able to just click and something moves. I, I just wonder, how does... How does Bitcoin ever start to translate down to the common end user like me? You know, the the guy that's that, that's not able to mine it. I'm never probably ever going to necessarily own it. 
how does that affect most of us? Or is the, is this the type of thing that'll only sort of be a, you know, there'll only be a small percentage of, of the society that's actually able to, to work with it? Or will there be maybe different cryptocurrencies? I just, I wonder what the future is. There are is. different cryptocurrencies. Yeah, I've, I've read but, about some. Um, uh, Tom, I wanted to ask one quick question and then go to Sterling's question is, you mentioned in the last interview that you can break crypto, uh, Bitcoin into different denominations. So you don't have to buy one Bitcoin for $20,000, $30,000. What is that breakdown? Because I think that might lead into even uh, Sterling's question of how the average person can even get involved to care about what's going on with Bitcoin. Because whether we like it or not, you know, SimCity is happening right before our eyes. So uh, what's the denomination breakdown on Bitcoin? Sure. So uh, there's what, and I'm, I'm probably, you probably have seen this uh, term, a Satoshi. Um, that's kind of the affectionate term that people use for a fraction of a Bitcoin. Um, so that's usually, I think, one, one millionth. I'm probably butchering that. I didn't get to look it up quick enough. Um, but <laughs> yeah. you, that's, you know, like the, there's a term that uh, you mentioned, Marty uh, Bent, who's on our team. He's uh, runs BizDev for us. Uh, he has an extremely popular, probably one of the top three Bitcoin podcasts called Tales from the Crypt. And he coined a term, uh, no uh, pun intended, uh, about a year <laughs> and a half ago called stacking sats, which is short for, uh, you know, Satoshis. And yeah, that is uh, one, yeah, one million of a Bitcoin. Wow. And so uh, that's kind of, you know, you could go, I think it's on 16 digits. So yes, you do not have to own a full Bitcoin, and you don't have to spend a full Bitcoin. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, there's actually a lot of it when you kind of realize that you could spend a fraction of a Bitcoin. Um, and then kind of go, going off Sterling's question too, do you ever see a day where there'll be an Amazon integration or an ATM or something along, the, or you go to the bank and you say, hey, you know, give me $47 out of my Bitcoin fund, you know? And I did notice uh, Cash App has got a Bitcoin uh, function on there. I thought so, PayPal did as well. It, it probably does. I haven't yeah. seen it, but it, I'm starting to notice this this hybrid of almost like Bitcoin's going to become. It's going to win out. It's going to become. It, hey, Betamax, screw screw you, man. <laughs> VHS is coming in. Yeah, um, there, all of those services have existed for a while now. Um, like you know, there are Bitcoin ATMs. Cash App has probably one been one of the main drivers for. Uh, Bitcoin adoption in terms of uh, kind of creating a uh, an open platform where any now this gets to Sterling's question in regards to hey what is the common man uh, or everyday guy what can he do with it well what's great about Bitcoin right now is um, large for the most part large hedge funds and institutional players like Fidelity etc even though they're they've been researching this they have stayed away from Bitcoin because there's not a easy way for them to buy this um, on the stock market. So what that's actually allowed to, to happen is that everyday Joes have been able to go on these apps like Cash App or Coinbase, even though I wouldn't recommend them. There's a number of them to go buy Bitcoin, and you can hold that Bitcoin yourself, and uh, you yourself become your essentially your own bank. And that's a really... Like once you realize 
the I wouldn't say the power of it. Uh, it's more of uh, there's an empowering aspect to when you realize that no one can take that from you, uh, that Bitcoin from you. So like once you hold that Bitcoin in your own custody, no one can come steal it. No one can force it from you. Uh, they can't come into your bank account and say, oh, we made a, uh, you know, uh, an error in our ledger and uh, you actually owe us $300. It doesn't happen. Um, and so I think in the future, uh, the, the early adopters for Bitcoin were very much so regular Joes, um, and the, it, which is kind of the opposite, right? Like in the stock market, the people who usually get in last are the public when all of the insiders have gotten their early shares and they've they've gotten rich in, in, in investing in these companies um, early on and then it goes into the you know public IPO and, and they get to cash out and then we get the we get the pittance after that. Bitcoin <laughs> is actually the opposite in that sense. Yeah, you know, it's funny you, the way you were just mentioning it. It made me think about um, that Panther. Uh, what was his name Russell um, Akung? Yeah. yeah, I just read a quote from him that, that makes perfect sense along those lines. He said, "When we are all paid in Bitcoin, no one can tell us what to do with the value we create." And that's that's what it sounds like you're saying is it's when you own when you hold a Bitcoin, it's there. It can't be counterfeited. It can't be stolen. It can't be devalued. It's it's yours, right? It's you right. you have it, so you have the value. Okay. Yeah, and and like one of the things I I would always recommend people to do uh, in regards to this uh, this topic is, you know, educate yourself. Uh, there was the story of Bitcoin is very well chronicled. There's a, a pseudonymous developer named Satoshi Nakamoto, who was uh, we no one knows who he is. Uh, by the way, we do not believe he's actually Japanese. Uh, and we don't believe that he goes by that name. Um, but this was a result or a reaction of him being fed up by uh, the ruling class banking elite and the central bankers of the world essentially uh, you know, ruining things. And this was when he created Bitcoin, it was a direct result from the 2008 financial meltdown. Um, and so if there's any, you know, if there's any like uh, and I would recommend reading his white paper. Uh, that white paper is only about eight pages long, and although you can kind of glaze over it at first because there are some big words, he was he was a genius. One of the things that he created in this, uh, you know, in this program was he created a way to solve what they call the Byzantine generals uh, problem or theory, and that meant um, he created a way for it to be impossible for there to be a double spent digitally. So, like, with dollars, you can do that. Like, I, you know, I can hand you a physical dollar, and we have that transaction. And you can't go back and say, oh, I never got that dollar. Because right? you have the dollar in your hand, you know, the transaction took place, and it's yours now. I can't magically come back and, like, teleport and take that dollar back out of your hand. In digital spaces, that problem has always been an issue because there, that means there always has to be a central authority in between the two people exchanging that actually is the one who's the arbiter of sorts, right? Like, so that's why if you ever get paid via PayPal, you realize that PayPal is the one who actually has the power in that send because PayPal can reach right back into your bank account and take that money back if they deem so. With Bitcoin, with the way that he set, the way that he designed things from a cryptographic or crypto, uh, cryptographic standpoint, which is what you know, U.S. military uses um, to encode our encryption. 
he created a way where that, that is not possible to go back and create double spends because then that value wouldn't be there anymore because you could say, oh, well, you know, you don't actually hold that. Well, all these miners are saying I do. And they're the ones who are the ones that determine if this is real or not, which is all publicly verifiable, which I think is another interesting component to Bitcoin that is kind of missed in terms of, um, you know, in terms of like it being an important thing. It's kind of like a low key thing. But the fact is, is that anybody anywhere can access the network, look at all the transactions, and it is completely auditable and transparent from that standpoint. And I think, you know, after seeing what we've gone through this year and then globally, like what's going on from a macroeconomic standpoint, and you hear about all these, you know, the the Enrons and all this other stuff with fraudulent accounting and stuff like that, um, this very open and transparent ledger system, which is basically what Bitcoin really is when you you strip down all the, the fancy things around it, that's what it is. It's very simple. And it does one thing very well in, in that regard. Thomas Cerro is our guest. He is Great American Mining Company on our Swan Energy phone lines. We better revert back to oil and gas here as we kind of wrap up. Two questions. One, we got to make sure we give you an opportunity to plug your business and how people can get in touch with you if they want to learn more about how to reap the rewards that Bitcoin is bringing certain operators right now out in the Bakken. Uh, but first of all, I wanted to ask you about the natural gas prices and Bitcoin prices and just how those two work together. Um, natural gas, you know, has been pretty low and Bitcoin's been kind of up and down and, and that sort of thing. And does one have to do with another or are they just just their own entities on the side and it's just a cost of doing business on one side and fluctuating markets on the other side yeah i think they're completely independent at this point there's not enough volume being mined via natural gas at this point i think though that in the future what you'll see is you know i i I believe that natural gas because of where we are in this country and the amount of natural gas that we're sitting on will continue to trend price wise lower and lower um just because of the sheer amount of volume that we have. And so for Bitcoin miners, that's like rocket fuel for us because if we can get a pot, we can get a power source that continually will decline in value, it's better for us because um, that's the race that Bitcoin miners are constantly in competition with is who can have the cheapest cost of production, power production to mine a Bitcoin. Those are the ones it's kind of, you know, uh, ruthless capitalism at its best. And I think the people who are best positioned to mine Bitcoin at the cheapest cost per, for uh, power production uh, long term will be uh, people using natural gas. Is that kind of the idea behind the headline of uh, Russian energy giant mines Bitcoin with free energy is because it's natural gas is what the free energy is? Yeah, I think the free energy thing is a little bit of a uh, you, some clickbait because we know that it's not you, you think it's a little bit of sensationalism. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But the people who are most incentivized to mine Bitcoin with that gas are the actual owners of that mineral, and to them, it's a very it's. I, I would think for you know those Russians or a oil and gas producer in the United States, it's a simple. Um, 
binary decision. Can this gas going into this weird box make more money for me than sending it into a pipeline? That's ultimately the decision that I think we want producers to know that they have. They don't realize that right now. They think, hey, this is how it works. It goes into a pipeline. I pay these midstream providers. I get a marginal return back, and it's always decreasing. That's just the life of the world. I make most of my money on my oil, so therefore I can deal with, you know, the gas. It's kind of like a, you know, the, the redheaded stepchild of the, the shale <laughs> industry. We believe that it can be ultimately um, the diamond of the, of the uh, oil and gas industry. I'm just having a great idea, which we're going to have to have you back so we can discuss the fine tuning of this, but. I mean, I don't know if it's a public-private partnership or what it might be, but if there's a way that we can mine Bitcoin from the flared gas and then also get Bitcoin to the mineral owners, that'd be cool. That'd be really cool because right now nobody's getting anything. Right, right. When it flares, they do not get anything, which doesn't help out anybody, doesn't help out the tax revenue, doesn't help out the mineral rights holders doesn't help out the producers or whoever's financing those producers. Um, but if, but if the state could kick in some money and say, you know what, okay, mineral owner, flared gas people, you can have X amount of dollars in, in dollars, but it's not very much. Or you can have Bitcoin at the value of what the gas is or whatever, you know, whatever it is. But make it incentivize Bitcoin is what I'm getting at. That would be kind of cool, wouldn't it? I'll take it one step further. It's something that I've thought about uh, quite a bit. And um, this is a little bit of a, you know, kind of opening up a little bit of a, I wouldn't say a secret, but, and maybe this will elicit some feedback here. I believe that the best incentive specifically for oil and gas producers and for Bitcoin adoption would be, it would be to somehow create some type of um, fund that would be similar to the permanent fund that Alaska has from their oil and gas revenue uh, in a similar way with Bitcoin. I, and somehow tie that incentive into uh, for producers who would be who would be flaring instead. Um, that, so, yes, I think that would be... That would, that would be, be interesting, like the, yeah. Because the, 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 the only obstacle I can think of right off the top of my head is we have this issue in North Dakota, which is... Um, a lot of state constitutions have it where they can't give direct payments to people. And because of that, they, they always have to give to the businesses and that sort of thing. In Alaska, it's, it's, they, they, they have it in the constitution. And what, they have like something, $70 million before they started, went ahead and did that. So they had a big, or billion or something. They had a big number. Um, anyway, I just recently learned all this. So it's this kind of news. But your idea is there. And... At the end of the day, what we need to do is figure out a way to get people educated on this because what I've seen from a journalistic standpoint is the more people become educated on Bitcoin and what it does and how it empowers the individual, yes, they, they, they stick around. I mean, they might not buy it, but they keep watching it and they keep dreaming about it and trying to figure out how they can do it. So... Uh, just kind of in conclusion, talk about how energy companies can get in touch with you and how, you know, the average person can even dip their toe in it, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. Yeah. Uh, for oil and gas producers, we suggest that you uh, contact us through our website, which is www.gam.ai for Great American Mining. We have a new tool that I think we mentioned the last time uh, we chatted, which is what we affectionately refer to as gas 
to hash. Uh, and that term hash is the term of the computing. It's the computing power that these Bitcoin mining machines, uh, that, that's what it's called. So we have a calculator on our website that allows an oil and gas producer or a mineral rights owner to go on, put in the gas volume that they have, their net back margins of what they're currently getting, and then it compares their revenue derived from what they're currently getting to what they could be getting if they're mining Bitcoin with it. So uh, it's been pretty popular, um, and we believe that, uh, you know, in terms of education, we we don't we don't want to be a black box solutions company and just say, trust us, you know, you, you just sit back and do what you do. We believe that um, the more oil and gas producers or, or anybody in the oil and gas value chain understand, you know, the bigger picture of, of, of what, what's going on here, uh, the better it is not only for Bitcoin, but I would say even for our country when it comes from like an energy independence standpoint and a greater wealth um, standpoint for, for areas of our country that are usually forgotten. 